1: This is one hate minute.
0: Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7 Eleven of you? Robbery, homicides, take care. Give me all
1: you got! This and. Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best, trying to stop guys like me a podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus, Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and joining me for the 52nd minute of Michael Mann's 1995 LA crime opus is a man who I'll just give you this description. You all, have, as a film geek, you find friends usually uh, like sort of moths to a flame or like those real buzzy flies to those buzzy fly catchers that all are attracted to one another at things like film festivals. And I met my guest a few years ago, one of the first times at a film festival was a young guy, super passionate, very great rider. And he was about to embark on like a voluntary expedition to go riding as an intern for a place. And usually when that happens, interns who are unpaid have failure and misery in their life that leads up to them. <laughs> but I'm very pleased to say that like this is like one of those guys who did it who did the thing, who went out and sort of came good. And I'm very proud to say that my buddy is now like a full-time writer and an editor um, for Weekend and Mornings for Junkie. He co-founded the awesome and now sort of archived movie movie Mezzanine, a sort of sister site to Graffiti with Punctuation with Sam Fragoso. And he writes around the place. A lot of the time you would see his stuff on concrete playground, um, especially around the time the Sydney Film Festival is on because there's just so much film to be written about and too little time and too little space in his normal gig. His name is Tom Clift. Sir, welcome to One Heat Minute.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Firstly, thank you for having me and for that very, uh, very effusive introduction. Yeah, that was, um, yeah, I can't believe it's been that long since we first met. It feels like kind of like only yesterday, but yeah, things have gone all right for me so far. I'm, I'm managing to make something of a living writing, which is, uh, which is very nah, dude, it's very good very it's, fortunate
1: it's good. Um, Look, like I said, there are plenty of us that are the plenty plenty of uh, people that you see that are really good writers that just don 't get the Guernsey, but uh, yourself very proud of you so well done and thank you for being a part of the show um, One of the fun reasons I also want to say is I was talking to my friends as I did at the beginning of this mad project saying, hey, I would love you to be a guest on the show eventually, you know, trying to work out times and dates and Tom Tom was so good, I think I'll try and find the message so I can actually read it to you, but Tom was so nice, he said something to the effect of I, I remembered it immediately, he's like, oh man, of course like, yeah, happy to help, you know, happy to support the show, also, don't really rate heat <laughs> <laughs> it was just one of my favourite responses to like someone saying they want to be on the show, so I thought, well if i'm going to talk about a minute, we have to have some we don't have to, but I choose to you can have some measure, some modicum of you know people who aren't massive fans of heat um, <laughs> from the outset or people that may or may not you know see uh, everything that we've seen or talked about or agree because you know certain some of these performances are contentious um, you know the length of the film is there characterizations there's always going to be things that people uh, you know subjectively uh lean into or sort of jive with you on your insides and inf- internal philosophy so um, love to have folks on here occasionally who are going to try and stump me it's much more fun <laughs> for me to be on this show so Tom what we're going to do is we're going to watch the 52nd minute of heat and if you guys this is the first episode of one heat minute welcome you've got a lot of catching up to do um, number one number two thank you for listening um, and we're going to watch this minute together we are right in sort of in the thick of a tussle right now because uh, Roger Van Zandt, uh, played by William Fickner, has sort of sent out some lackeys to uh, do a fake handover with Neil McCauley instead of doing a legitimate exchange for bonds and, and for cash. Um, and in the middle of this exchange, after they've gone to sort of assassinate Neil in a very haphazard and stupid way, they've walked into a trap. They've got assault rifle-wielding Chris Chahilis Val Kilmer right here now at 51 minutes exactly um, as we're about to watch, sort of firing shots off. Neil is reversing his car and using it as a weapon, so we're, we're right in the thick of it. We're going to hit play, we're going to watch it, and we're going to come back and chat about it. Tom, what a minute
0: yeah it's, a, it's an absolute hell of a minute, um, not a lot of dialogue to work with, but um, you know it's funny to think that you know this is you know just under an hour into the movie and this is really only the second action beat in the in the film in the whole movie, you know you've yeah. obviously got that amazing amazing opening heist and then kind of all the setup and now we get to this and it, it really shows you kind of reminds you again just how incredibly proficient like these characters are. Yes. And I think that is one of the, the pleasures of the film is, is, and I know you've spoken about, about, about this in earlier episodes, just how good these guys are at their job. And, you know, they really make the other guy, the, the guys who have been sent to kill them look like absolute putzers. Like they just <laughs> were totally unprepared for what's about to hit yeah. them. And, um,
1: and I think that's the the blessing of the sort of Hugh Benny character. Um, you know, earlier initially, which is played by Henry Rollins. He's of like, you're going to deal with these guys. Like he almost thinks it's a bit of a, uh, defiance in his voice. You need to deal with, no, I'm going to kill them. And, he doesn't even, you know, Fickner as Van Zandt doesn't even register Hugh Benning. He doesn't even look into his eyes. He's looking at his computer screen, his fabulous 90s spreadsheets, you know, <laughs> green writing on a computer. And he's like, you know, whatever. Like, this is just a path of the course. I'm, I. It almost is like, I love how you say that. It's like permission to send putzers to this job. Because, they, you know, he's lying in the open, you know, in the back of an open top ute. You know he's probably been eyed off the entire time by Shahelas and this with his rifle, or maybe mm. just escaped his gaze. You've got this guy who's a driver who's like clearly all over the place. I, I think um, I've got some questions for you about some of that, but yeah, no, I agree. It's um, you know, these guys are good, but it, it, I I also like the tension in this minute, or just you know just proceeding to this minute that flows in is for a split second. We don't really realise the entire team is on the job, and I love totally. I, I love that first it's Kilmer, and then there's that second of a doubt that it, they might get away, and then bang, 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 you know, T- Tom Sizemore <laughs> comes out of there as uh, as Michael and just blows this driver away, who already looks like he's been shot up significantly, but he's blown away, and then right here in the freeze frame of the fifty, you know, the fifty two zero zero you see Danny Trejo's in the car. Like he's already waiting in the getaway car here. You can see him behind the wheel of this, um, of the car. So yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, it's really, really solid. Really, really good stuff.
0: Yeah. And I think it, to me, it, it does just serve as, as that reminder. And you get them periodically throughout the film, just how, how dangerous these guys are, because you spend so much time with them and you, you kind of really like them and they are kind of, you get their banter and everything. But then it's just like, they switch gears and like, oh, these guys are just stone cold killers. They will not hesitate. They are so dangerous. You know, as you said, it's only about five seconds before he starts shooting that you realize Val Kilmer's character is there, which I think is revealed in the minute immediately yeah. prior to this. Yes. And then again with Sizemore's character, you're like, oh shit. He, like <laughs> he comes out and again, he's so ruthless. He doesn't pause for a second. He's he's like a you know a surgeon with that shotgun. He's and and I just think it's I mean the whole the other thing is that the whole shootout. Only lasts seventy five seconds, maybe, yes. because it's re- it's really this whole minute. It ends just before this minute ends, and it begins just at the sort of beginning of the last minute. And again, it's just like you know, this isn't a big, huge action sh- scene. It is these guys just taking care of business, and just the efficiency that they that they handle it is really quite. Um, Quite incredible.
1: And it's also sprawling. So, like, it, you know, we, we talked about leading up to this. It's this big, sprawling, empty, dilapidated drive-in. And I think that, you know, we later see the, what these guys look like in closed combat, you know, closed quarters and in, locked into that city grid. And it, it's, it's even more frightening. But, like, um, they're sort of spread out here and even... That's the, the the crazy thing I think with Neil is like when when he finds out there's a guy behind you, my favorite moment it was, it was literally a realization watching it was like he hits reverse, mm. like he's not got any hesitation that he's going to yeah. drive away he's He's attack, 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 and so with these guys, even just something as simple as you know the violence immediately escalates, the sound design is unbelievable mm. you know or you know it's another one of those it's a, another one of those precursors even more heightened than in the first heist because you hit the mm. big crash you only get a few brief bursts of a pistol here yeah. you've got bang 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 from this beretta as neil's driving through the, through the window over the bumps in the drive-in um the the assault rifle we start to hear that ring of the assault rifle which just gives me chills um mm also the worst movie to play late at night when you're watching it with your partner at home in bed because you're trying to keep it high so you can hear the dialogue (laughs) and then the sound comes up with the bullets and you wake the whole neighborhood up um but you then get the that you know the blast with the shotgun as well and i was just watching it again and i also like now watching it for this time is this poor guy and i'm going to get his name it's just escaped me for just a quick second in my notes but this poor guy just gets out with his little tiny oozy you know this is a this is a this is an automatic weapon for a guy who doesn't have to do big jobs is what I first yeah. think, and then you've got this massive shock i don't even know what it is like a double barrel pump action thing this like a r Forty-seven or whatever it is, assault rifle. <laughs> yeah, game. it's just like this poor guy was coming with his little, brrr, brrr, and it's just no match. Not even this big chunky Dodge Ute is a match for this shotgun that just cuts yeah. into
0: pieces. And it really is just that thing of they just outclass the you know uh Neil's crew. Neil's crew just outclass these guys. I mean, he looks look. Admittedly, he's just, he has just been sandwiched between two cars so he's not you know he's but he's like he's hopping around on one foot he can't get his gun up and and you know you compare it to the way that neil moves and it's and again it's in this scene i think foreshadows the big iconic bank heist later in the film in so many different you know just the way that they move there's the shot of um of chris of of kilmer's character like shooting in one direction and then shooting in the other and the way he pivots immediately is exactly the way he moves in the uh, in the high scene when they're running down the, the yeah. city streets, the way that uh, Macaulay shoots through the windshield again happens in that high scene. <laughs> yeah. and I really think that it, you know, so when you, and you, this is sort of obviously the, not the sort of thing you necessarily notice on, on first view, but having, you know, now watched the f- film a few times and you would be very much the same. You see this and it really, it, it, I think it, it really, again, it just and it hit this point again. It just drives home how these guys Move the same way in every encounter. They are so professional. They are not, you know, this isn't like diving through the air with two pistols. They're not being fancy. They are just, they are as efficient and lethal, and 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 brutal as kind of because it's their job. And I think that that's so apparent from from that.
1: And one of the things, Tom, you know, and I know, like, is there's a real um, there's a real subtle art to match cuts like match cuts in movies or matching things up and some things can be really blatant like they're trying to reinforce a message and some things sort of fly by the wayside and I really like how you said that because I hadn't noticed just the exact motions and it's just, yeah, that's a further reinforcement of a reflex action, right? You know, you watch, you know, um, uh, you know Tom for folks out there, uh, when he's not tweeting, you know, random film things, um, it's often Richmond Tigers, so, you know, Australian <laughs> uh, Australian AFL. If if you're from um overseas, just type in Google AFL, it, you, it'll it'll look strange, you won't understand what's going on, but it's it's a sport nonetheless. Great sport. Um, the great sport. Tom will teach you all about it, but. It's that whole, whole like, it just reminds me of, you know, someone constantly doing the same kick, you know, constantly picking up a running ball or, like, you know, when we watch, you'd, uh, think of it like when you watch cricket, they practice, they hit the ball and you watch a, a fielder in the infield who runs, picks the ball up and throws it and hits the stumps. Like, every time they've mm-hmm. done that, like, a thousand times. So, it looks like they're a robot. like there's, it's, it's muscle just, memory. Yeah, it, it's yeah. muscle memory. And it, that, I think that's that preparation that underpins you know, this entire film, you know, the whole kind of method approach that man enforced upon all these guys is that when people watch this, I want them to think that you're really dangerous. And they are, like they they look at. The guy, sorry, just I found his name. His name's Max Daniels. Poor Max Daniels, right? He did True Lies in 1994. He was the... uh, the, the unawares assassin who went to take out Arnold Schwarzenegger in the bathroom in that phenomenal bathroom scene. One of the two guys who like gets the, the bejesus beaten out of him by Arnold Schwarzenegger. He then goes into heat... Shot up, run over, and then he goes into casino and pretty much is the same chewed up thing. So um, the poor guy has had a bit of a, um, had a bit of a, of a not a great time. But yeah, so good good times for Max Daniels. Thank you, sir. If you're listening, we'd love to have you on the show. Um, the other bit, yeah. So sorry, match cuts. What 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 here? It's like that that reinforcement and and makes it even more powerful. And now I'm even thinking into the heist when Neil, when they do that slow-mo, because mm. it's actually in slow motion. Here, it's not. It's all in, you know, full speed, full tilt. He's in the car. He picks the Beretta up and goes bang, bang, bang. And it's that slow motion in uh, to reinforce that the cops have got them surrounded at the high scene, the major bank high scene when Neil mm. picks the gun up. So, yeah, really great. But there's so many little things like that throughout this movie um, that do match cuts to reinforce or, like, play, make you play tricks on you. Like there's four Mm. conversations that come up in the next few minutes of the movie that are all, you know, there's one really disturbed one with Wayne Grow. There's a one with uh, Justine and Vincent, you know, the famous detritus conversation. You've then got Neil and Edie. um, And and there's, there's all these like, there's this weird relationship going on with the camera, these weird conversations all happening and these weird things. Like what... I don't know, if do, can you think of movies, like when you think of match cuts and the, the perfection of those match cuts or trying to reinforce it, are there other movies or like other genres that like jump to mind for you when you think of that? I'm thinking of like Wes Anderson plays with them all the time and does silly ones. Mm. Edgar Wright does it for laughs all the yeah, time. Yeah,
0: but, but I think the difference with those examples, and look, I'm sure there are other examples that I'm not thinking of that are more similar to this, but in in... in in Those kinds of films, they're meant to draw attention to themselves, they're yeah. meant to be like a cool stylistic flourish. And I like that, you know. I like Edgar Wright, I, I like some of Wes Anderson's films, you know. And and but uh, they're learned,
1: very uh, wait, no, let's not talk about the whole of we can't go know, down that bad. rabbit hole. It's it's yeah,
0: but you know, those are really stylized and they're there to be stylish to draw attention to themselves. And I think the difference here is that these are these actually serve narrative purpose. Like again, we talk about these match cuts where we see them executing these same actions again and again throughout the various heists. And that's not... You know, it's a subtle thing, but it 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 really just drives home... You know, it doesn't make it seem like perf- performances. It makes it seem like these guys are actual trained professionals. Yes. And I think that, to me, is the difference here. And, and, you know, look, I'm sure there are other films that I'm not thinking of, but I think that this isn't, as you said, sometimes some, something like that can be really on the nose. And that doesn't even mean it's a bad thing, but it is... It's it's about... Yeah, if
1: the intent is to be on the nose, then that's what's the fun. Like, usually mm. they're poking fun. So it's okay. Yeah. It's a bit satirical. Yeah. But yeah, I think that... Yeah, that's one of here, the
0: things... It's one- really in service of character here.
1: Oh, yeah. And it's yeah. and it might even be, like you said, that pirouette. Like, the, pir- the the Kilmer pirouette, as beautiful and as luscious as his delicious blonde hair is, Chris <laughs> Hillis. You know, this is Pete Kilmer, ladies and gentlemen. He's as beautiful as it gets. Um, but yeah, like, is, that pirouette is... Is crazy. And it's sort of, and what's funny is that he pirouettes and then fires assault rifle shots at poor Max Daniels's unknown assassin, and he pirouettes to get run over. Yeah. By, by, it's, you know, it's a dance. It's, it's but it's not quite, you know, you crouching tiger, hidden dragon dance. It's a really, you know, grotesque thing. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I love, I love that. I love the layers as we move into this scene. Now, I started off, Tom, right at the beginning of this podcast saying, that I wanted to have you on the show because you didn't like the film. You weren't a big fan, you didn't rate it. So now that you've... I want to know, sorry, how, how is that still sitting with you? Are you still not a massive fan of it, number one? Look, and, number two, and number two, after watching this minute, as I know you've done, you're super prepared many times hmm. and, and probably some of the minutes around it. You know, have has your mind been swayed at
0: all? Look, I, I don't have... I mean, I, I think that the film is obviously incredible, incredibly well made. I, I like Michael Mann and I think this is his it's him, I don't know that it's my favourite man film, but I think it's him at the height of his powers, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, I think that technically it's incredibly well put together and I I do think listening to you and your guests go incredibly in-depth on it, it's hard (laughs) not to get an appreciation for that. Um, To me, um, some of my issues are just, you know, the, the running time for me is too long. Um, that's and a, and,
1: it's, and that's okay, you know. Right yeah. now we're in the we're in the uh, the the Avengers Infinity War corridor of time of release and length of films is a big uh, bone to pick with lots of Marvel movies, just in general. But you know, all movies. But I, I and you know what's funny, Tom, I t- dead set and w- almost one hundred percent agree with you on running time just in general. Like, mm. I even look at Netflix, you know, your Netflix queue or your Amazon Prime or whatever the streaming services or even iTunes if you're going to rent something. And yeah. so many times the people are like, oh, you've got to see this movie. And I go, oh, great. And it's like three hours. I'm like, no, no, yeah. I'm good. <laughs> I'm and a look, dad now. I'll, I'm good, <laughs> I'm good.
0: I'll take the three hours of heat over the three hours of Avengers <laughs> Infinity War. Yeah. And I, you know, I quite enjoyed Avengers Infinity War. Yeah, me War, too. But there me is too. a lot more going on here you know, Avengers: Infinity War is is three hours because they have to jam so much intellectual oh. property into the film. Whereas at least Heat, <laughs> it, it, it is trying. You know, it is a it is trying to be this big crime saga, and so I think there is more of a justification for the length. Yeah, I don't know that it fully earns it in my mind. Yeah, um, that's my big problem. I'm also one of those people who think Pacino kind of is going a you're, little. You're
1: okay. Look, it's okay. You know, it's okay. Uh, it's. It's, you know what, Tom, I'll say this now in this episode is I've uh, and, you know, I've kind of gotten a, gotten an appreciation for, for parts of Pacino's performance where I think he's absolutely doing that, you know, post scent of a woman Oscar yelling Pacino. This is loud Pacino. And <laughs> I actually think, you know, the more that I watch it in some scenes, very you know, very specific scenes as well. I think, God, I think he's doing this as a gag. Like, not as a gag. I I don't want to say gag because that diminishes the performance. But I think Mm. he's, in some ways, he's utilizing that persona to underpin what we expect him to do. And then sometimes in some really calculating ways, he does things really differently. Um, Mm. So, But I I think, yeah, he leans into it. It's like, um, it's the same reason why I... I adore Unforgiven, you know, Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven. And I think in some ways you can't watch Unforgiven in isolation and have the same appreciation of it as a person who may have watched a hundred eastward westerns you know you know yeah. I, I don't know if he's done 100 but if you've seen all of the good the bad and the uglies and you've seen the outlaw jesse wales and you've seen his him grow into that genre it's kind of a great way for him to be a revisionist on his own genre and direct it sure and in the same way as like john ford in the searches like you watch john ford at you know or, or stagecoach all the way through his entire career and he comes to the searches being a really dark twisted kind of Angry, wrong side of the Civil War loser who's racist yeah. and wants to just kill natives, and, and and really be you know psychologically interesting. I think it's really cool, but I I have to agree there. But you know what's also I'm gonna I'm gonna just because we talked about Infinity War. I digress. A lot of people have been talking about. Oh my god, there were seventy something character speaking roles. Yeah. Heat has seventy character roles, seventy speaking roles, and I want to just say one thing. It, in a tapestry, because obviously, like you said, they do have to jam the intellectual property in. Mm. I just want to say, not every character has to be the main character, nor can every character be the main character. I think one of the criticisms, or I I would argue if you think that someone didn't get enough screen time, but they serve the purpose that they've been designed to do, um, Mm. probably the better criticism is, I didn't like the purpose that they were designed to serve in this film, as opposed to I didn't like you know, that they were used in this way. Because like mm. the big example I use is Bud Court, you know, the, the asshole diner owner who like treats Dennis Haysbert's mm. character like shit. And like Bud Court has two scenes in this movie. They maybe last for a minute and 40 seconds in a 170 sure. minute running time. And he's memorable. He's yeah. a dirtbag. He makes you hate the state of the United States justice system. Like yeah, he absolutely. makes you hate it. And he's so memorable. And he's he's fire for like 10 seconds. This is not his greatest film, obviously. Harold and Maude, like he's like one of the you know most icon, mm. one of the most iconic American films of all time, and I just think uh, I think it's a really uh, it's just a it's just a lazy thing to say that you know oh it, because they've got a lot of speaking roles that they must be poorly utilized. No, mm. talk about the character utilization. What is the character there to do? Are they there to just support or are yeah. they, You know they can have one line and be really powerful.
0: No, I totally agree. And again, I think that's what where I would I'd rather watch this than <laughs> <too>. than some <laughs> of the lesser in a, in a roundabout way, yes. Yeah. Big big superhero films. Because you're right, like there are a lot of characters in here and there's probably I mean, to me, the the one character that I would you know, if I were if I were an editor in charge of cutting this down, and it would be hard because unlike a lot of unlike a lot of films that are too long, it's it's not like there are scenes that bloat out. Like I think that yeah. if you wanted to cut this film down, it, it needs to happen almost at a script level yes. rather than a oh that scene runs too long and that scene's unnecessary. The one possible exception I think is the love interest for Neil's character. Yeah, Edie. I, I I get I get what they are doing there, and I think that there are moments that they set it up really well. You know, there's obviously that scene where he's sitting around the dinner table with the rest of his crew, and they're all there with their wives and girlfriends, and he doesn't have anyone. And yeah. then that leads into him going to see her again. And so I appreciate, I appreciate what the film was doing, and I think that is actually quite a good little scene. But I think you could have had that scene without actually having her character in the film.
1: Yeah, I I, I can understand where you're coming from. There. It's funny in being so blessed to have already recorded, and I did a brief episode with one of the editors of Heat, Pasquale mm. Bover. And so you know, you guys are in for a treat when the full episode drops much later. His favorite scene is the hundred and thirty-first minute of the of the <laughs> film, and he had a part in cutting it. So you know, that's that's part of the reason why it's his favorite. Um, but I remember when he talked to me about which scene needed the most work. It was <laughs> what's funny is it's actually the um, uh, the the preliminary scene where uh, Vincent meets Richard, um, and uh, and. Oh my God! I've just an Albert in the in the nightclub. He said that mm. scene uh, took them a really long time to to edit to mm. keep the pace because, as you know, like right now, this is the you know fifty second minute we're getting the reminder. But it's you know it would, it would seem unconscionable just on paper to say okay, in a cops and robbers movie. It's going to take the cops even an hour, which it does, mm. almost an yeah. hour before they even get on the tail of the bad guys that yeah. shoot the movie up in the first ten minutes. Um, yeah, it, you know, you think, oh God, how, how, how. Much do the cops suck, and they don 't yeah. <laughs> um, but it 's like he I remember him saying that to me as a real notable scene that and it wasn 't the bad writing, it was just that the, the it, it was at the script level, it was at that script level they needed to speed things up, they wanted to do too much in that scene and to flow into this acceleration for this you know, collision of these guys in the upcoming minutes all the way up to like the 70th minute when their first heist. They, they had to just, they had to trim it. It had to go mm. much faster. They cut out some backstory. They, you know, yeah. um, accelerated, you know, some, they had more of the landscape of what was happening. And I think they just cut it all up to make it work much faster. So really interesting. Yeah. But back to our lovely minute. This is, yeah. a, let's, uh, let's. Oh, I'm just going to, I hope I've muted this as we're going to go back. I wanted to just, um the, the one thing I like, I just love. So Elliot Goldenthal in the film has, who's the guy who does the score for it? Folks, if you aren't familiar with the name, he does such great sort of flurries of, uh, sort of you know, he. It's it's kind of I don't know if I'd say like a similar sort of, it's like a techno John Williams feel, like without as much emotional <laughs> manipulation. It's sort of you know he really when there's a lot of frenzy on the screen, um, the score really has that, echoes that frenzy. Mm. And I love here, like the the score is a frenzy. You know, we're at 51 minutes and 40 seconds when Tom Sizemore's um, Michael Torito pops around the corner with that shotgun and he is looking serious. And he just starts blasting this, this truck. And that final, sh- you know, final two shots that like take this guy out, the truck just rolls and the score just disappears, and you yeah. hear this thud. Like it's such a, you know, I, I'm such a fan of movies that have got the balls to to cut the score and just yeah. let things sit. And you know, that's the other big thing. You know, that they people cra- praise Chris Nolan about in The Dark Knight was you know flipping the truck and cutting the score out and just letting you hear the crash. Mm. I just love that sort of stuff in this movie. I love that.
0: Well, I think that's actually a really funny contrast you've made there with the chris nolan thing which is such a spectacular crash whereas this is such a and i think it's really emblematic of how the assassination attempt goes because it's such a like a pathetic like thud like yes. the, 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 and you can actually hear it in the score you've got that the kind of the electric guitar um which is very 90s like and the way it kind of winds down as the car slows down yeah. and it and it it even is kind of it sounds like the music is rolling with the wheels and getting slower yeah. and slower and then it cuts out as the car just as the this ute just kind of clunks into this wall at 5 kilometres an hour and it, it is it's such a sort of pathetic sort of end to this botched heist attempt um, so i think it, that yeah the way the score is used is is really is really well utilized in that moment it's also like but even in the and we spoke about the the use of sound in the film generally you, you can't there are, there are parts where you can barely hear the score because the gunshots are so loud and obviously it's set in this super echoey um, yeah. location uh, which is obviously, and I know you spoke about the location as well with with the some of the the guests discussing the minutes leading up to this um, which is this sort of barren western like um, you know we, we were speaking about Clint Eastwood and the good the bad and the ugly the scene <laughs> that this actually reminds me of watching it a few times is the the way that those microphone um, stands, to me they look it looks like a graveyard. Yes. They look like little little tombstones That's or something. So they good. just need they just need crossbars and they'd be little crosses in the ground. And that then reminds me of the final scene from The Good, the Bad and the Ugly, that iconic <laughs> yeah. graveyard shoot shootout. It's not exactly the same, but you know, having this this dusty plain and all these like seeming tombstone like these these things and you know the whole thing kind of feels like a graveyard because it's this abandoned Cinema, And I I don't know whether it was intentional, whether it was meant to look like that. But to me, I think there are all these ideas you can then play with, you know, it's in this abandoned movie theater. So is he, is man making kind of a reference to the state of cinema? I don't know. (laughs) Is he talking about the state of Los Angeles? Um, Is it, you know, kind of the literal graveyard for these assassins who are about to meet their end? Um, And I I think that. I, think, I, I love the way that that plays.
1: I don't think uh, that visually. I think fifty-one minutes seven seconds. If you guys are playing freeze frame along at home, and please tweet me if you do freeze frame it. I really, I'm hoping that like one person out there <laughs> listens to the show, does it with us. The fifty-one minutes and seven seconds that you know Tom and I are watching right now. It's this perfect frame where you've already got one of the assassins, Paul Max, standing out there like completely looking terrible he's already been hit you know he's already been hit with a rifle shot he's about to be run over by a car and the um the oh sorry he's already been run over by neil's car in reverse he hasn't been hit by a rifle shot yet and it's just framing val kilmer's christian is firing off at this ute as it's streaming past him and it does like i've never picked up on the graveyard piece but like literally over his left shoulder where that box where there's the two boxes on the ground it Mm. is looking like crosses all over the place and yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if it was kind of that feel in all of those ways, right? It's like, mm. yeah, I, I don't know if he's talking about the death of cinema. I'm not sure if he's talking about that. Maybe, maybe if you know, if he was, uh, if he was precognizant of the fact that Heat in 1995 would get zero Oscar nominations in its year, um, maybe he would. Not even for sound design, <laughs> su- supporting actors. It was the year of Apollo 13 um i yeah I, I i don't know i just i look at this and i'm like that's so perfect tom that's a great one that's one i haven't picked up yet
0: yeah and i really love i mean i also think that the way that the film and you know you i know you, you've spoken about the locations and the number of locations in this film and this is such a quintessentially los angeles movies to me it's one of the first movies i think of when i think of la and I don't I mean man lives in LA I believe obviously yeah, he works there yep I don't know I don't know how he feels about Los Angeles but this is not a movie that makes LA look like a great place I think it's going to say because we do spend a lot of time in these you know shipping yards and under under freeway overpasses and it's all concrete and chain link fences and dusty abandoned <laughs> lots and stuff and you know I think that a lot of the film it's I know I think that's a theme that he hits on even more overtly in Collateral. Oh, Collateral which, too. They, they, a great don't film, they, don't one they, of my favourite mad uh, films. And feel Tom like, Cruise is... Oh, go on.
1: Don't they feel like different cities, in a way?
0: Yeah, well, I mean...
1: Like, in the... Sorry, there's in fringe moments. You know, there's some great moments at the beginning of the film where Jamie Foxx does that great... You know, he fills up and he's speaking Spanish to the, mm-hmm. the person at the... Uh, Uh, at the petrol station or the gas station if you're an American listener um he's there and he's sort of speaking in Spanish there's a couple of moments where he's sort of streaming through a freeway that are reminiscent of heat you know they look like the the getaways that Pacino is talking about those overpasses you know good freeways good routes you know um but I think I think sometimes when I look at collateral and it's this you know super downtown high rises darkness you know pulsating night you know I go god LA isn't it's like a different universe. He's just picked yeah. everywhere else that he could possibly cover that wasn't this. Um, That's the
0: thing. It, it Collateral is a lot more um, neon and glass. And I think it's also just a matter of the fact that, you know, large sections of of heat, including a lot of the more uh, iconic moments, happen in the daytime. You know, there's yeah. this scene that we're talking about now. There's the opening heist. There's the bank heist. Whereas, obviously, Collateral is set at All night. And night. the city looks so different at night. Plus, he's shooting that was kind of his early foray into digital. digital. And so Collateral has that really, really harsh d- kind of digital look. Yeah. And so you're right, it does look really different. But even then, I don't think, I don't think either film makes me want to move to Los Angeles. <laughs> no. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I think, I think that that's a statement for a man feels like
1: that's a guy who's going, I live in this city and it is lived in. You know, I mm. think in LA, like the LA and La La Land could really use some heat and some collateral, <laughs> there, you know, like it's just—it's the fairy tale, you know. It's the LA mm. that that people from all over the, you know, the country in the United States go to be famous, or from all over the world we go, oh, you know, I want to make it big in Hollywood. And for people who live there, it's like it's—it's it's this massive, sprawling, epic place that mm. has totally different experiences: north, south, east, west. You know, that you know, I think in Sydney there's way more of a sprawl. Is, is the probably the only town in australia that even would closely resemble some of the sprawl when you talk about east to west sprawl mm. all the way from you know right on the east coast and the water all the way out to our you know blue mountains in penrith you know and the great dividing range in australia but it's like here in la that big bowl is a sort of similar thing but it's so it's much much larger and i, I that's mm-hmm. what and you don't uh, it's so funny that people go like, oh, this is like, like an LA movie because it is now it's like that reinforced thing. But at the time it's like an alien landscape. You don't know that yeah. it's LA. You kind of, you, you know, cause it's robbery homicide division and stuff, but yeah, there's no Hollywood sign. Yes, uh, it's you, not glamorous
0: at all. You can
1: imagine an exec going, there's no Hollywood sign. <laughs> You're like Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we did find that place where there were real dog fighting. like an albino guy who ran it um some place two hours south yeah no it's crazy i i i it is interesting right because also this was a film and what's funny on two films and you make me think of it with collateral two films uh the the script for collateral was written with new york in mind it was very Mm. much a new york city story especially a cab in new york and you know, cabs in New York's taxi driver, obviously quintessential, um, yeah. sort of canonical American cinema. And this story, because it was based, um, because it was based on a Chicago cop, Charlie yeah. Adamson, was originally a Chicago story. Um, but even by the time that man had sort of trialed it out as potentially going into a television series with uh, L.A. Takedown. He, it was so LA, like he was ready to make this an LA story, which I wonder is like, that's part of his personality coming in, uh, you know, part of his personality coming in, living in LA. Um, but I think, I think it maybe is like the sort of transient guide to LA. I don't know how how to say that in like a nice way is like some places have a real feel, but these guys feel like they could be on the move and Neil's talking about leaving a lot. So I think that this yeah. is like the people who are constantly looking for the getaway or the places to hide. It's like the hidden nooks
0: and yeah. crannies that... Well, When know, you get that in Collateral, I mean, Tom yeah. Cruise's whole thing is that he, he keeps talking about how much he hates Los Angeles yeah. and how much he wants to leave. <laughs> yes. Um, which is really... And and I and can't. he's so
1: disconnected. He's yeah. got big, big monologues in there about how disconnected and
0: yeah. terrible it is. But you've also got this, thing. you know, it's funny, you, we talk about, like, when I think of movies set in L.A., yes. these are two of the, Collateral and Heat are two of the ones that spring to mind because, yes. and I mean, and that's, I think that's different from when you think of movies set in Hollywood because there are a million movies set in Hollywood and that version of L.A., yes. you know, the Sunset Boulevards, your La La Lands, you said, you know, that these ones that are really the version of L.A. that, you know, the L.A. Tourism Board maybe wants you to <laughs> see. Yes. Um, but when I think of, you know, that concrete wasteland kind of vibe these are the two these two films and you know it's interesting and i was kind of looking through man's filmography afterwards because i'm like man he like he really likes to set these he really likes shooting movies in la and i went back through and like these are really the only two that are like <laughs> quintessentially la like the, he's not like you know the his movies are set all over the place yes but i always i think of him as like la i think because of those two
1: films and L, and like la he has some flurries of la and in insider Um, but uh, you know, the, um, what's funny is it's like, it's almost like an anti LA that I have built in my head now. So like, I've got like heat and I've got collateral and then I've got like tangerine, like tangerine, like that's that's now LA and you know, the traditional ones for me are things like when I think when I used to think of LA as like, you know, Curtis Hanson's movie, LA Confidential, of course came, you know, around this sort of took a similar ethos, like finding those little dark dark nooks and crannies of LA but also had the beauty you know like a couple of you know when he goes to lit you know when Russell Crowe's character um is going to see you know uh uh, Kim Basinger's character Lynn Bracken you know when he's going to visit you know those that palm trees and perfection of those suburbs and those the beautiful architecture like that's all there all that stuff's that la and then like chinatown that you know that's the totally that that that's 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 classic hollywood la but yeah i know i think it's it's funny there's something so something so cool about um those films that are willing to go outside of hollywood to tell those la stories um
0: yeah but well i think when I think of that, the other one that really springs to mind a recent film is Nightcrawler. Oh, again, Jake Gyllenhaal film. That's a,
1: and again, same. That's a great like anti LA LA story as well. Yeah, set all at night. In fact, it's kind of like partway through Heat and partway through Collateral because it's pretty much all at night. It's that you know picking the picking the bones like a night vulture <laughs> of, of LA. You could do
0: a you could do a like a double feature of Collateral and Nightcrawler because I think like you can imagine Jake Gyllenhaal's character from Nightcrawler rocking up to. the... <laughs> the scenes immediately after Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx have left <laughs> to like yeah. capture the carnage. Yes. Um, yeah. The, the other thing back on this minute to, just to, to divert from the LA talk briefly that I love is, you know, this minute's 90, this minute's like 55 seconds of action basically. And then just at the very end, we see him opening the package and finding the the paper, the fake bills. Yes. And, and then we, it, we cut on that wide shot of the, the gang walking to the car and then, not to you know not to spoil the fun of the next person you're having on but the next minute is when he calls William Finch's character and basically says you're a dead man uh, which is might actually I am I'm, I'm almost disappointed I didn't get that minute because I think that's a, one of my favorite small bits in the film I'm sorry. that it it, it
1: it is such a fantastic phone conversation
0: it's so great but I think Pacino's acting uh not Pacino's acting uh, De Niro in that's I think some of De Niro's best work in that film with that phone call he is so menacing and and, again, just coming back to this idea of them as being really ruthless and really professional, you get almost nothing of his emotion on finding out that they've been double-crossed. Yes. You see, you literally see it, it goes from the van or the, the ute hitting the wall to a close-up of him opening the, the, um, the package and seeing the money or the, the not money and, like, gesturing with it, showing the person next to him what it is, to that wide shot of them walking. And you can tell kind of by his face... And by his kind of the way he's moving, that he's angry, but that's all you get, and it's about three seconds, and then it's cut straight to Fincher's uh, office, him finding out that he's that, uh, and De Niro being on the other end, and already in however long as how much time has elapsed, um, Macaulay is cool, calm, collected. He's not, you know, and he's, I
1: like like it, we've just freeze, we've just freezed on like the fifty second. Sorry, the the beginning of the fifty third minute, and it's almost like there's it's it's anger, but there's like that sort of annoying. This is a petulant like disbelief. It's like he's shaking yeah. his head, going, Are this, "Now I've this, got to deal with this. Is this guy so stupid? Yeah. Like we could have, you know, I'm a businessman. I could have made money, and and, and everyone like, could
0: have got away clean on this. could have got yeah. away
1: clean." But I do love, and I will let you cheat, Tom. It's okay. It's a really fantastic minute um, that's coming up. Um, uh, So I I will let you cheat slightly. I've I've cheated myself a million times in this podcast. I'll, (laughs) I'll let you indulge with me. But I also love, here he's angry and peeved, and in that minute he's cool and collected. But I love. There's something that happens that I'm just going to play. I'm going to. I'm going to allow Tom the luxury of sneaking into the next minute. You're my first person to do this, Tom. <laughs> but there's just a. There's something here when he's cool and collected when he's talking on the phone, and when he says, "Oh yeah, is everything all right?" There's a split second here, which I'm sure I'm going to talk about very in in, a, in much more depth in the next minute with our next guest. But my favorite part is that. 52 minutes and 25 seconds, there's a smile. He, mm. has, he smiles when this guy pretends like he didn't set them up. And yeah. I think that's just one of those great moments. I, I, I totally agree. I think um, it, it echoes for a split second. He almost wants the honesty. Mm. Like he's, he's just like, he wants to hear. It. And, I, and I hadn't thought about this until I just spoke to you, is like, I'm wondering what he wants out of that conversation. What but what Macaulay wants. Yeah, like does Macaulay think
0: if he catches him in a lie mm-hmm. that he'll give him another chance? That's well, that's my question yeah. as well. Does he go into that phone call knowing he's he's he knowing the course of action he's gonna take, or is he waiting to see how it plays out? And then when when Finch's character
1: Vance yeah, treats Vinny. him
0: like treats him like an idiot or tries to get a get another one up on him, that's when Macaulay's like, nah, this guy's we're taking this guy out
1: this guy's toast now and he just smiles forget the money like i love i think yeah i wonder i really wonder i wonder you know it's, it's such a weird thing is and i probably i tend to agree with you it's one of those rare moments where it's not prescribed you know everything i think Macaulay does in this movie um is not without he he, he despises spontaneity mm. um, because he wants it to be executed very meticulously and that's the yeah. sacrifice that he puts into everything so it's really funny to think that in that moment yeah it's probably one of those one of the most spontaneous moments in the entire film because he's just there yeah. listening trying to hear is this some lackey in this guy's organization who has come out and tried to do a betrayal yeah you know, there's or also that this piece from you, top. Yeah, Yeah, is it, who's it coming from? And so when he speaks to him and he's like, oh, is everything all right? He's like, oh, no, 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 this guy's toast now. And so, yeah, yeah it's really interesting that it, it sort of plays in. But, yeah, I I, I I, love that, like, especially because you see his face before. And like you said, mm-hmm. it's only a few seconds into the minute when you see the next thing. So, yeah, I'll, I'm sorry, I let you cheat. Tom, oh, how no, that's you? all right. I, I hope we One haven't taken on the material, 20 material seconds. No, there's, from your next, uh, <laughs> your next guest. <laughs> you know we have it my next guest you, oh, I'll tell you guys I can tell you now I don't usually do this because sometimes I try and record or record things first or after but my next guest is actually Lisa Maloof dear friend oh, of both of ours I Love Lisa. she's great she's uh, Lisa was um, so funny she's uh, a a old Hollywood darling she's an absolute classic Hollywood fanatic Mm -hmm. she'd never seen Heat before this minute and chose the next minute largely less about the phone call um, of the 53rd 53rd minute and and going into the 54th minute um, she wanted to the family the family Neil's family dynamic was what really struck Mm. her in this movie around the table so yeah we've got some really good stuff coming up tom mate i just want to say thank you so much for being a part of the show
0: it's an absolute pleasure to have you it's been great and and look while i'm still not the the, i mean i I like heat and i do think that doing this has given me extra (laughs) maybe it's just your enthusiasm rubbing off on me but um it's great i mean there's certainly a, a hell of a lot to talk about with this film and um yeah it's an absolute pleasure
1: oh thank you so much Guys, um, if you want to follow Tom, I'm just going to say Twitter's probably the best place to find you, yeah, sir, for Twitter all of, I reckon. For,
0: for all of your Twitter stuff. It's
1: at, yep. uh, at Tom underscore Clift. You find most of his stuff there. Did I get that right?
0: Yes. yep that's exactly
1: yes. right awesome um, at Tom underscore Cliffs you can find most of his stuff there um, and look if you're around in Sydney I believe Tom's going to be at the Sydney Film Festival this year so you may yeah. see him on the ground um, around the place as well um, I've been Blake Howard if you guys want to find out anything about One Heat Minute it's oneheatminute.com that's the best place to go or at Blake East Batman if you're on the Twitters um, also thank you so much to Garth Franklin for our web design Paul Davies for our theme song and as always we'll catch you right around the corner with the next episode of Heat and with Lisa Maloof. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks, Tom. Cheers.